Has anyone ever asked you to do something so hard that you did not believe you could do it? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> um, maybe somebody asked you to move a piece of furniture and you looked at the piece of furniture and you looked at yourself and said, yeah, there, there's no way I can do that. Or maybe your high schooler asked you for help with their math homework. <laughs> and based on what you could or could not remember from high school, you knew that you were not going to be of any help to them. Or maybe it was something that you had to dig really, really deep if you were to accomplish, like get along with your brother or stop arguing with your mother or your father, which, while it may be physically possible, may seem at times almost impossible. That was the kind of difficult request that we find Paul making in the second chapter of his letter to the Philippians. If we skip ahead to the fourth chapter, we find Paul naming names when it comes to disagreements in the church. Paul writes in the fourth chapter, I urge Euodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in my work for the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. So these women were clearly people that Paul held in high esteem, that he respected. They worked alongside him in ministry, but their disagreement is significant enough that it has reached Paul's ears in a Roman prison, and he's concerned about it. He wants them to settle the matter. Now, Paul doesn't mention what the issue is, who he thinks is right or who he thinks is wrong. He just wants them to agree in the Lord. As for how they're supposed to go about doing this, we're going to have to turn back to our reading for today in chapter 2, which is written not just for these women, but for the whole church and for all of us who sometimes have difficulty getting along with one another. Now, I know all of us here at St. Peter and St. Paul's care for each other and love one another, but I also know that disagreements do occur from time to time, even here. So let's hear what Paul has to say. Paul begins his plea for church unity by appealing to the joys and comforts that the people of Christ have experienced. He writes, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion, and sympathy. Paul is reminding his readers of their blessings in Christ. So I'm going to ask us right now to take a moment in the quiet of our hearts, consider your answers to these questions. 
in Christ have I had any encouragement or comfort? Have I received any consolation from Jesus' love and the love and prayers of fellow believers? Have I ever experienced the fellowship that comes with our shared experience of the Holy Spirit? Have I ever received any understanding, empathy, or compassion from my friends in Christ? Did they come alongside me when I was hurting? Now my hope is that you're able to say yes to at least one of those questions. And if not, then I invite you to stick around this place for a while and let's get to know you better. And so banking on the fact that the Philippian Christians have received these benefits in Christ and in their Christian community, he continues, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one mind. This is the same request that he makes of Euodia and Syntyche. Be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, Paul, Paul was not naive. He did not really believe that Jews and Gentiles were going to come together, form Christian community, and have the same opinions about everything all the time. But Paul believed that followers of Jesus could avoid and overcome much of the division in the church if they followed the way of Jesus instead of their own inclinations. Paul writes, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. How many disagreements with others escalate because of our own need to be right, to be successful, to be perceived as right and successful, and because we think we're the smartest and most important person in the room? How much of our refusal to concede or to see things from another person's perspective how much of that is truly righteous? And how much of that is based in selfishness and pride? When I was a little girl, I was shocked and delighted when I first heard the story of the emperor's new clothes. Maybe some of you know that story. I'll, re I'll remind you, in this fable, there are two swindlers who come to a prideful king who loves to spend the kingdom's money on lavish clothes for himself. So he tells them that they are weavers and they will make him wonderful new garments. The only catch, they say, is that the clothes they make are invisible to fools and to those who are unfit for their jobs. Well, the king liked the sound of this because he would be able to identify who were unfit for their jobs, who the fools were, based on whether they could see his new clothes or not. 
The people of the kingdom were also pleased with this because they wanted to figure out which of their neighbors were fools. So when the king's new clothes were finished, the king was shocked because he was unable to see the clothes despite the fact that his servants and courtiers were all talking about how wonderful they were with beautiful patterns and designs. But rather than admit that he was unworthy of his office or a fool, he also pretended to be delighted by the clothes and he obeyed the weavers who instructed him to take off his old clothes and to be dressed in his new ones. So when he was outfitted in his new clothes, everyone paid their compliments to the king. And the king marched through the streets in his new clothes with all the people lining the streets, pretending that they could see his clothes, lest their neighbors think that they were fools. Finally, a child cried out the startling truth. The emperor had on no clothes. And it dawned on everyone that the child was right. Their king was marching through the streets completely naked. But the king was unable to acknowledge this humiliating fact, and so he marched right on pretending to wear his new clothes. Now this story is an absurd tale of how pride can turn us into complete fools. But our pride and selfishness can have serious consequences for those around us. When we make selfish demands or treat others like they're less important than we are, it hurts our relationships. It harms those around us. It can bring dishonor and shame to us and to the organizations and communities that we belong to, including the church. In fact, without healing and reconciliation taking place, our natural bent towards self-centeredness and pride can create serious fractures in our church fellowship. Clearly, this is something we want to avoid, but how do we do it? Paul keeps pointing us to Jesus. He writes, Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God 
the Father. This has to be one of the most beautiful passages in the New Testament. It is a hymn that illuminates the gospel and the character of God that we find in Jesus Christ. But it is also an invitation, an invitation to live in a radical new way, the way of Jesus. Jesus did not come to earth to win an argument or to put anybody in their place. He came out of love to rescue his creation who rebelled against him. He laid aside his glory to become one of us and to save us. And he saved us by humbling himself and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If anyone had the right to stand on principle, to argue that they were right and the others were wrong, it was Jesus. He was sinless, completely righteous, and sinful humanity crucified him. But Jesus did not demand his own way. Instead, he fell to his knees, and he asked his father if he would take this cup of suffering from him. But then he added, yet not my will, but your will be done. And in the end, Jesus accepted and obeyed his father's will. Now, we have not been called to die on a Roman cross for the sins of the world. Jesus accomplished that once and for all. But what we are invited to do is die to ourselves for the sake of Jesus and his church. Jesus invites us to take up our cross and to follow him down that same path, that path of downward mobility, where we are emptied, poured out, and released of our pride and selfishness, our need to be right, our need to be first, our need to get our own way. And he offers us himself, his Holy Spirit, filling us up with steadfast love, encouragement, joy, hope, and peace in all circumstances. And with that hope and with our identity firmly rooted in Jesus Christ, we are free to serve others rather than simply ourselves. We are free to submit our wills to God. We are free to submit to one another in love extending grace to one another, working hard to find agreement so we can move forward on mission for Christ and his gospel. We are even free to suffer for Christ if that is what he calls us to do. Yes, these are hard things that we are asked to do when we follow Jesus Christ. Paul knew it was hard. 
He was living out his faith in a Roman prison. He underwent many other trials, as Ben was telling us about last week. Paul knew hardship and suffering for the sake of Christ, but in Christ he also experienced love, joy, and that peace that passes all understanding. So this morning, as we reflect on all that we have gained, all the ways that we have benefited from knowing Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his church, could we set aside our pride for the sake of our brothers and sisters, our mothers and fathers, our friends, our co-workers, our fellow students and disciples? then make my joy complete and be of the same mind and have the same love. Let us extend the peace of Jesus to each other today. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.